Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 40. The crew is here. Richard, how's it going? Hey, guys. What's up? Seth, what's up? <laughs> what's up, guys? Going well. It's going. Uh, so, Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar, or Pro Tour KTK 2.0, is uh, <laughs> in the books. And <laughs> we're going to spend a good amount of the podcast talking about that. That's kind of the talk of the town. Just happened. It was... A very good top eight. We saw really big names in the top eight, really good matches. Siege Rhino uh, ruse the day uh, as as the winning deck list. Uh, congratulations to Kazuyuki Takamura and uh, his no-splash Avzan list and uh, against uh, Ryoichi Tamada and just straight Jess guy. None of these – both of these Japanese players felt that the splash was just not – not good enough, so straight J- Abzan versus straight Jess guy in the finals. It was really good. We're going to talk a little bit about, so Oath of the Gatewatch fat packs were revealed. They do have the full art land, so we're going to talk about that on the uh, in the ongoing fat pack discussion uh, going around social media. Snapcaster Mage uh, has a reprint. We'll talk about that. And some financial stuff. So I will open the floor to you guys. Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar. Richard, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of people are going to complain that Standard was solved. We didn't actually see much innovation. It was Abzan, you know, Jeskai Black, uh, Tarka Red, Green White Megamorph. It was all the same stuff from the SCG Opens. Uh, we did get a bit of spice with, like, Blue Black Aristocrats, uh, Sam Black's Bant Tokens. Um, but at the end of the day, we saw a lot of high-level play. I was really impressed. Uh, with the plays in the top eight, you know, there were a lot of plays that I had to think about and, you know, people were talking about social media and it was very entertaining. And, you know, we had the storylines as well. Finkel versus PV. Uh, it didn't turn out, you know, mana flood or mana screw got in the way of that, but I thought it was a pretty good pro tour. The, the decks were pretty grindy. The matches took a long time and that allowed the pros to kind of showcase their skills and lines. So I enjoyed it, even though we didn't see uh, you know, any crazy breakout decks or anything like that. Okay. Uh, Seth, what did you think? I mean, it was it was entertaining. There's no doubt about it. I enjoyed watching it all weekend. There were great players featured, great players in the top eight. But I'm in the camp that's a little bit disappointed that we didn't see more innovation. Like, if you look over the top list, it looks a lot like the SCG Open from the weekend before. It's just the pros getting their hands on these cards didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, so that's a little disappointing. And maybe this is another topic, but it seems to confirm everyone's impression that Battle for Zendikar, at least initially, isn't a very good set for Constructed Magic. Hmm. Yeah. So these are the notes I, I took over the the weekend just to bring it up on cast and, and kind of pose like just food for thought or questions for you guys to talk about. So, I do agree with both of you. It was diverse enough, and like you said, Seth, it was it was kind of diverse. There were some good players. Uh, we did see some really good matches on camera, but yeah, there there wasn't enough innovation. Like it wasn't like I guess you can call the Aristocrats or Sam Black's deck like really good, but it do- didn't see a lot of the spot. They did well in the constructed uh, format, but they they just didn't generate a lot of uh, I guess attention. Again, it was diverse, but there was really not a lot of emphasis on Battle for Zendikar. I mean, there was the lands, and then basically Gideon, and that's it. Like just just like the Star City Games Open that you guys were talking about, it, it really wasn't that big of a difference. And that that led that led me to ask the question. Um, so I understand that they are trying to bring down the Power Creeper equalize it or kind of reset it or we we have talked about that in the on previous casts but if we're switching to two set blocks right weren't we supposed to kind of eliminate these like third set syndromes or and and really have two substantially good sets i'm not talking about like every single card has to be good but i mean you you print a couple dual lands and gideon and that's like the flagship cards of these sets so there's really like an emphasis on Cons of Tarkir block 
and then kind of just added a few lands. And and someone brought up on social media, I think it was uh, Corbin actually, and he said like, oh, well, that usually happens like all the time. Like the focus is shifted back to the original set and the new block doesn't really bring a lot of attention. Well, I mean, just looking back, like Return to Ravnica brought a lot of cards to the table. Innistrad certainly brought a lot of cards to the table. So I'm just a little... I mean, Theros even brought some cards to the table in the in the devotion mechanics. So I, I don't, I'm not really getting that side of the argument. I mean, we're, there's two block sets in a block. They should both be good. And then, uh, yeah, it's just a, the 2014 cons of Tarkir meta with like really good lands. I mean, that's really I think where we're at in standard. So uh, I wanted to pose that and get your guys' feedback on that, uh, Richard. I mean, I know agree with kind of the the sentiment of that like yes like cons of tarkir is a powerful block which is why it's kind of dominating uh this two block format but there's still a lot of time for battle for zendikar right when you tone down the power level of a set obviously the previous set that didn't have its power level toned down will be stronger but like we saw soul crap had its coming out party uh you know grandfire soul master Soulfire Grandmaster <laughs> uh, had its coming out party. You, saw, you see these old cards get a resurgence in the new metagame, the quote-unquote new metagame, right? And we'll, we'll see that for Battle for Zendikar. A lot of these cards are flying under the radar, and when Khan's block actually rotates out, and Battle for Zendikar is sitting with the, the new block, uh, you know, the, the power level will be more in sync, right? But, like, there's no way to do it. When you're bringing down the power level, like, yeah, it's going to be not as powerful as a previous set, right? But, you know, I, I think one thing uh, that really stood out to me at this Pro Tour was kind of the diversity. Uh, for the first time in Magic, it feels like no matter what color you like, you have a Tier 1 deck to play, right? Whether it be red, white, blue, green, black, there's a deck. You're not forced to play, you know, Mono Black Devotion or Mono Blue Devotion. You can play any archetype you want and have a legitimate chance of winning. And I think that... Uh, shows good design, right? I think that is the power of the Battlelands. Like, you can now play the color you want and then splash for the cards that are lacking in your color. So I felt that part of the set is pretty good. But uh, TLDR, yeah, the set is kind of weaker, but I don't know that it detracts from the whole experience, and we still have a lot of time with Battle for Zendikar and Standard to, to gauge its power level. Good points. Seth? Uh, well, I got two thoughts on the issue. Uh First off, I think part of this is just Battle for Zendikar. If you look at the set, and we've kind of talked about this before, the mechanics uh, don't really work well with what else is in standard. So if you want to play an Eldrazi deck or an ally deck or some of those other uh, like mechanics or creature types that were the main focus of Battle for Zendikar, you don't get any support at all, really, from all of Khan's block. So you're pretty much playing a... A, a one set block constructed deck against decks that have access to five sets. So I think that's part of the problem. Like with Theros and stuff, uh, some of those other sets you mentioned, they had cards that were powerful enough and still worked well enough with other sets. There's a big difference between a Grey Merchant that all it cares about is black mana symbols and a card that has ingest or some mechanic like that that's very specific and is very build around me, or it needs a lot of allies, a certain creature type. So I think it's just partly the design of Battle for Zendikar isn't very synergistic with the rest of the sets in the in standard. On a bigger picture, uh, you mentioned the third set problem in the new rotation. I chalk that up to this just being the first set. Like right now, cons is still a three a set block. We have Magic Origins in there randomly. I think a year from now, once we're in a standard that's all two set blocks, things will be going much more smoothly, and it's much less likely that one block will completely dominate the other blocks once all the blocks are on equal footing with two sets, in that, and we get into the kind of the swing of this new standard format. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just to play devil's advocate, I mean, they kind of knew they were going to this new cadence a lot longer than we did so i mean it just kind of begs like did they not see this like did oversight or did they not test a enough internally to kind of see that hey look there's like not a lot of stuff that's playing well with uh battle for zendikar i mean i, I don't know it, it just 
it doesn't seem like a seem like a very good uh, transition into the new blockades when you have again just just the Battlelands and 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 Gideon basically as the forerunners of the set with with cons. Uh, well, so maybe yeah, this is maybe this is cynical, but. It's completely possible, I think, that they did test, and they did know this, and that's why we have expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. that's probably a, a good idea. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, I don't blame you for saying that. So it, it seems like we're, we're going into a standard that's going to have this Pro Tour to work on. I, I, I'm sure we'll see some innovation week to week with Star City Game Opens and stuff like that, but... It feels like this is this has really laid the groundwork until Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, so, you know, for a few months, uh, we're going to have this kind of standard, which is surprisingly kind of fast. And until Oath of the Gatewatch uh, comes out and maybe mixes things up a little bit more, but uh, they did they did say this quite a few times on uh, on the coverage that. This kind of and, and we did talk about this actually, I think one or two casts ago that this is kind of a perfect storm right now that everything is gelling like you have fetch lands and dual lands and all this stuff, but this is kind of like short lived because cons is going to be rotating soon. So I, I think that goes more to what you said, Seth, that maybe they did test this internally and they kind of just chalked it up as well. It's only going to be around for X amount of time, so. You know, maybe we just kind of have to live with it for a little while. Well, I mean, if you if you listen to Ian Duke carefully during the stream, you you can figure out what's going on at Wizards. So he really wanted to see an Eldrazi ramp deck, which in my mind tells us that Wizards expected an Eldrazi ramp deck in this format. Like he t- he mentioned it multiple times during coverage, right? So I believe like that would be their miss, right? They really expected an Eldrazi ramp uh, ramp deck to to show up. And that didn't show up. Like, I don't think they realistically expected an Allies deck or anything like that. But Eldrazi Ramp was one of those archetypes that they kept going to uh, whenever uh, they asked him about R&D or what he expected. So I think they missed out on that aspect there. Because we didn't see any Ulamog, uh, you know, they're one of the other flagship cards of the set uh, at the Pro Tour whatsoever. Yeah, he did, he did say that quite a few times. Yeah, you brought up Ulamog. He did mention that hey, Ulamog tested really good internally. We were expecting to see some uh, Eldrazi decks. And there, I think there was one running around or something like that. But again, not very high percentage of players were on that type of deck. But you are right, Richard. So maybe they kind of missed that synergy or, and dropped the ball on that. Or maybe it is there and it's just not hasn't been fully realized as a deck list yet. So maybe going along again week to week, uh, Star City Games, maybe that somehow develops as a sort of a byproduct of this Pro Tour. So so maybe, yeah, maybe that does show up uh, down the line in the few weeks to come. Any kind of last uh, thoughts about the Pro Tour? I, I mean, it was diverse enough. I, I do say that it's not just going to be Abzan and Jeskai, although they did show up in quite a quite a few numbers in the Pro Tour. But I think there is enough variation. And, and what you did say, uh, Richard, that for every color that you do like, there is a viable deck list. There's green, white, Megamorph. There's a Tarka Red. There's you know four color Jeskai. There's regular color Jeskai. There's Abzan. There's four color Abs- Abzan. There's a lot of different cards for every different color. So you are right about that. Well, let me pose a question to you guys. Would you rather have a pro tour like this where kind of all of the pros just chose whatever they like to play? Or would you like to see a breakout deck like Cobblade or something where, you know, something just shows up and then dominates the room? Well, I think as a player, I mean, just going back, looking, you know, remembering pro tours as I was playing the game, uh, you always want to kind of see that new deck list that way like, kind of tip takes the pro tour by storm and no one was really no one really knew it was coming uh it, it was sort of like uh, we sort of had that in the uh the artifact deck list just what was that one pro tour ago origins so there was like that kind of deck list but yeah i was a little disappointed to not see maybe aristocrats do a little better or yeah i i was a little disappointed in that front i don't know about you seth what do you think 
Yeah, I want to see the breakout deck, too. I mean, it felt like with this Pro Tour, and it's fine, but the Pro teams uh, focused on making the best Jeskai Black deck they could, or tuning Green-White Megamorph, figuring out what the best two-drop was for Green-White Megamorph, and maybe that's just because, maybe that's just a product of the format, and that was the right choice, but I would much rather see a Pro Tour where at least one of the big teams shows up with something completely unexpected and does well with it, because I find that very exciting. Well, we, yeah. we had that, right? They just kind of sucked at limited, right? We had <laughs> man tokens, right? Man tokens. Yeah. If if they made top eight, they had like crazy constructed records for man tokens. And if they made top eight and proclaimed uh, retreat to Mario as the greatest card in standard, it'd be a much different story, right? But they tanked their limited and they didn't make the top eight. And I, I... we have this storyline instead, right? <laughs> I will say my initial impression was that the format wasn't very diverse, but if you look over the deck list and disregard the split format aspect, which I don't, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of the split pro format for Pro Tours, but if you just look over the decks that perform the best in Constructed, it actually is really interesting and really diverse. There's green-white Megamorph, two five-color Bring Delights, a Tarka Red, three Bant Tokens, Esper Super Friends, Jeskai Black, Jeskai Midrange, Mardu Super Friends, Green Red Landfall, and Red Black Dragons. So the best performing constructed, constructed decks are actually really diverse, but as you said, Richard, those players just didn't weren't up to snuff in Limited, so we're talking about the same old thing. Yeah. A last couple things to, uh, to talk about, too, while we wrap this up is... Uh, so, <laughs> for the last couple... When we were first talking about Battle for Zendikar in the last few, uh, a couple casts previous to this, you guys were kind of like the last line of defense for Awaken. So we kind of, uh, you know, Seth wasn't really too high on Ingest, and we kind of really, we all didn't really like, we all took a stance on each of the various Battle for Zendikar mechanics. So I, I think, can we all agree that every mechanic from Battle for Zendikar sucks? Like, no, is, that, is that, like, solidified now? <laughs> we saw Converge. Radiant Flames was a thing. And right, okay. There were Esper Control decks running Ruinous Path and, uh, what's the name of the Wrath? The, Planner Outburst? The, the Wrath, right? Like, they were role players. I mean, we didn't have any breakout cards beside Gideon, so you're not going to see any, you know, dominance right. by these things. But I think well, these mechanics are there, right? I can only go from what I was seeing on camera and, you know, maybe I missed a match or something like this, but I didn't see any game come down to a, an, a, an awakened land, okay? That's so That's true. That's what I was really looking for, battling it out, and that did not happen. That is correct. So, Esper Control did not... Did it even see any? I think we saw Super Friends at some point, but I don't think we saw much much Esper Yeah, Control. Reed Duke was on uh, Esper Control, and again, no Awakened. <laughs> it did not come down to a pivotal pivotal Awakened card. I will say that. So, <laughs> I think can we all agree? I don't know. Maybe no, you I still think it's a good card, and people are playing it. So. And, and as for Converge, okay, yeah, Radiant Flames is fine. That's like a decent mechanic. But I, th I still think, like, in most scenarios, if that just read like anger of the gods for one red that would be good enough but i mean the fact that you can't control it is fine and isn't that just a rehash mechanic anyway isn't it basically sunburst but for spells yeah it yeah. is basically As, so the one good mechanic isn't even really a new <laughs> mechanic <laughs> yeah it's basically like sunburst 2.0 did anyone ingest anything over the weekend? I don't think we saw any ingest happening outside of no, incidental we, ingest. No, I don't even think we saw incidental ingest, to be honest. <laughs> there, were, there were, like, some Fathom Peters and stuff running around. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, there was that one Fathom Peter. Yes, a single one. Fathom Peter. <laughs> yeah, that one match, that one time. No, but, yeah. Uh, also, um, we've had quite a few conversations about this on, uh, on Twitter, Seth. Uh, what did you... You were really intrigued about the Aristocrats deck actually showing up, and uh, we're going to talk about this a little more when we talk about price movement. Uh, that's all kind of a really big uh, boon to Liliana, Heretical Healer. Uh, but what, what did you think of the deck list like as a whole? I, I was a little perplexed to see the blue-black Aristocrats deck. I was expecting to see maybe a little bit more blue tech, but I mean, when I really looked at the deck list and saw like 
Whirler Rogue and like that was it. I was a little surprised. Well, Whirler Rogue is insane. Like I think the fact that that team with uh, Christian Calcano and some other players decided on Whirler Rogue for their Aristocrats deck was a great choice. That card is it's so good with Nantucko Husk. So I was really impressed by that. The deck in general, I haven't got to play it yet. I've been meaning to. I've just been busy. It doesn't feel all that powerful to me. But that said, it's obviously a synergy deck, so maybe once you're actually playing the cards and, like, going through the combo-ish, uh, like, iterations, maybe it plays more powerful than it looks. Uh, but, so, I don't know. I'm intrigued by the deck. I still am, and I still plan on getting in some matches with it. But after looking over the whole list, I'm kind of, really? Like, this is the best Aristocrats deck? Is this blue-black thing? Yeah, that's that's really what I was getting at, is I, I felt like... I felt like it still wasn't there. I was like, you, like, really? Like, this is it? Like, you just, you basically just built, and not to say World War Rogue is bad or the blue-black version is bad. Obviously, it did well, and, you know, Christian Calcano really piloted it well, but to what you said, it was like, yeah, like, this is it? Like, you just basically took a mono-black aristocrats, added World War Rogue, and that, this was somehow the best list? Like, I, I, I think know. you guys are confused about aristocrats, the archetype. It is literally a bunch of jank cards that you put together. <laughs> no, I, right? So when you look at any one card, you're like, this is terrible. I wouldn't even play it on my limited deck, right? But <laughs> uh, the blue the blue played Sadisi's Faithful and Roller Rogue, and out of the board came Counterspells. And every yeah. time we saw Christian Kokano on camera, he was pulling wins out of nowhere from ridiculous board states with this deck. So he was. based on camera, what we saw on camera, I thought this deck was ridiculously powerful. Right, and he would have won everything we saw on camera, except his opponent had the perfect answer. Right, like he needed yeah. something. He needed something off the top. I forgot what it was. A roller rogue off the top, and he could just kill his opponent. Uh, but his opponent and he, killed an Ataku husk. Right. right, and you know everything. I don't know, just all these weird situations and all these weird lines with Liliana. Like Liliana was basically Jace uh, in this deck. Like there is no Jace in this deck, which tells you one thing, but. As I said during the deck tech, when you flip her and minus her, it's the same as flipping Jace and minusing Jace. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, I was actually really impressed with the deck. Every time I saw it on camera, I was like, this is crazy. But I have oh, a yeah. feeling it's going to be like Bloom Titan, where everyone picks it up, they don't know what they're doing, and the deck like totally sucks. <laughs> and you're <laughs> like, I don't understand what I'm doing, and I lose, right? And then that's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel it's going to be one of those... A high skill cap deck. It's not as straightforward as the original Aristocrats deck. I think no. the original one was a lot more straightforward, where you kind of just sack some things and like charge in there with Falcon Wrath Aristocrat. This right. one requires knowing how to use Liliana and knowing when to cast Hanger back for zero, and knowing when to like run in your Sadisi's Faithful. So it's an interesting you know, deck. I think it's gonna be really hard to play. You know what it reminds yeah. me. Reminds me of Richard is the zombie bombardment deck that Sam Black built for Legacy. Like, are you familiar with that list at all? Uh, I don't know. I know zombie bombardment, but I don't know exactly. Was there anything special to his list? Well, no, but or or is the zombie bombardment list we see Sam Black's concoction? Well, I I think Sam Black originally created it a few years ago, or he's the first one I saw playing Uh, it, but. Yeah, but the carrion feeders and yeah. just these recursive threats, and it just pings the opponent to death little by little. Uh, this deck reminds me more of that because it doesn't have a Falconrath aristocrat or butcher of the horde finish. It doesn't have that second aristocrat. So this, a question I have for you guys, is someone asked me, and I don't know how to answer, is what makes a deck the aristocrats? This name's getting tossed around all the time, probably mostly by me. Like, is it? Well, what do you need to be an aristocrat deck? No, the sacrifice for value. the two flagship the two flagship cards when the deck was created when I think it was actually Sam Black that that did put this deck on the map. Yeah. The two flagship cards were Cartel Aristocrat. It was a black white two two. You sack a creature and it gains protection from the color of your choice. It was a gate crash uncommon and Falconrath Aristocrat when they were both in standard. So those were the two flagship cards. So the name became Aristocrats. Well, we know that, but. Lately, people have been using that to name like well, random it, decks that don't have any aristocrats in them. And I think well, the criteria think, yeah. is self-sacrifice. I think any deck that sacrifices its own creatures yeah. is an aristocrats deck at this point. Well, yeah, it, it's a deck based around like a synergist, like a synergy about self-sacrifice and a card like Blood Artist. 
So they could have easily just made this like blue black Zulaport or something like that. But I think Aristocrat sounds just a little better, and you're paying homage to uh, this deck when it was it first, you know, kind of sprung onto the scene. It was very powerful, and and you do you did mention Richard um, and Seth. Uh, you both kind of mentioned when we look at the deck list. You're right. Like I just don't feel like you know there's not that payoff. You know there's not that curve. You know, you do look at these cards like, you know, wow, this card kind of sucks on its own. Like, so this he's faithful, but like, what the hell? Like, this card's awful. But, again, I, I just, the, the deck is there, but again, we don't have, like, the Falcon Wrath Aristocrat. We don't have a couple of these spells that really made the deck strong back in the, or, like, back when in Innistrad, RTR standard, where you didn't look at just Aristocrats and say, wow, you know, these cards suck. Like, Falcon Wrath Aristocrat was a really good card. Uh, Cartel Aristocrat is a good card. So maybe we just don't have enough tools or maybe the deck list is just not there yet or the colors can be different because you could have just easily put like four blister pods in there, which I still <laughs> think is <laughs> where we need to be, like Evolutionary Leap or just Blister Pod or something like that. And maybe that's the better list. So, but... so there was a Saltai deck floating around in there. But the the real question is like, what would you cut to add these cards, right? So obviously you're gonna yeah. make some choice, but all of the cards are kind of important. So what are you really gonna cut for, you know, blister pod, collected company, uh, leap, right? And in this case, uh, they chose to cut those green cards for the blue cards. They feel Sadistic yeah. Faithful and Roller Rogue are better than those cards, right? But uh, I don't know. I didn't test the deck, and I haven't actually played it yet. But I plan on playing this deck. Uh, when I shy away from Siege Rhino, I'll be playing uh, UV Aristocrat. <laughs> so yeah, I th- I think that kind of wraps up Pro Tour, and, and I think a lot of good things were said. It was a good, again, it was great to see Paulo and Johnny Finkel uh, battle it out, Johnny Magic. It was good to see that match. It was good to all the all the top eight matches actually were really superb. Uh, I thought and. Uh, yeah, it was just it came down to Jeskai and <laughs> and Avzan in the finals, and you know at one point I really thought that Jeskai was going to take it, but I mean hey Avzan just has really good cards on every point in the curve, and I think uh, it was kind of unfortunate there were it, it did there wasn't really maybe there I think there was just like one match where both decks were kind of trading off, but a lot of the times it was either. Abzan had to mulligan, and then Jaskai had to mulligan, or, you know, they just didn't start off with, like, the most optimal start, and uh, that was kind of unfortunate, but, you know, it happens. Uh, Variance does happen in Magic the Gathering, and you obviously saw it in the Pro Tour finals, but, again, it was really good. It was really good overall. Yeah, I thought it was actually one of the more exciting top eights. Uh, yeah. The only one I thought was probably more exciting was the Finkel Kibler one, Honolulu. Yeah. But we had a lot of interesting moments, right? Like when uh maybe it's because there's so many Japanese players here and we have a more international metagame kind of mm-hmm. going on. Uh but the two Japanese players brought weird decks, right? No one was playing Abzan, no one was playing straight Jeskai, and here they were. And we had really strange lines where uh, the Japanese player sided out his Jaces, you know, the best card of the format against Finkel, yeah. and went full control, and it worked, right? And, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, Mashi, this unseen surprise, and it worked, right? Or we saw yeah. uh, the Absent player maul the four and win. Yeah. Right? Like, you're like, wow, right? Like, shows, you know, he shows what aggressive mulliganing can do, right? Like, you maul the four, get the perfect rip, and you win, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's, I think partly this time it's because of the international kind of level. Like, if we didn't have the Japanese players there, it would be more like a Grand Prix where you have kind of the right. uh, established U.S.-based players, and they have a way of playing and a way of building decks that we're used to. But the Japanese kind of came in here and threw a wrench into it, and we ended up having an all-Japanese final, and we saw some very interesting lines of play. I'm not going to question that no lander keep. Uh, I'm going to assume they had a plan, but... Other than that, I thought there were some pretty interesting uh, things going on. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Richard. I mean, the, the Japanese players, I mean, especially uh, our winner, definitely was playing some very good, very good magic. I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I think 
these pro tours, I mean, there's always that international element, but this time it really, uh, it really showed, you know, these international players bringing something to the table and, and, and seeing the metagame in a different way. Uh, and Kazuyuki definitely was playing some tight magic uh, and really was, I mean, again, you, you said it yourself, Molta 4 still pulled out the win, so he really knew, like, knew the deck inside and out, knew what, like, a good Molta 4 was. So, I mean, he knew, like, okay, I have this and this. I mean, this is a good hand, so I'm just going to roll with it, and he won. So I, I'm sure a couple good draws <laughs> off the top really helped out. But, yeah, I mean, really some really great uh, play from the Japanese players this time around. Uh, Seth, uh, uh, again, just I know we kind of want to move on, but um, you wrote an article the from the numbers like you always do. Just real quick, uh, anything glaring? I mean, I can I can see we had 210 copies of Angerback Walker, so <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> uh, not really surprising, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hangerback Walker was big. Jason Gideon, obviously, two of the big cards. As far as the decks go, maybe the most interesting thing to me is that um, Esper Dragons was horrible, absolutely one of the worst decks there was, but Esper Control was actually one of the best decks out of the heavily played decks. So that's, I guess, just another testament to Jace and also Ojitai's Command being very good cards in our current format. Uh, so. Yeah. That's uh, that's the main things that stuck out to me. The three big decks were all good. Atarka Red put up solid numbers. Green-White Megamorph, solid numbers. If you play Green-White Megamorph, don't splash. The Bant and the Naya versions were way worse than the straight Green-White version. And then I mean the big thing for me, which we mentioned a little, was Sam Black's Bant Tokens deck, which the finish for that deck was just insane. The win percentage was nearly 70%, and it was just one of the best, maybe probably without a doubt, the best constructed deck at the tournament. And I'm just disappointed that n that deck didn't make it to the top eight because it, it would be the big talking point of the event. Uh, like it was when Sam and Justin Cohen uh, put on that big run at the Modern Pro Tour with Amulet Bloom, we would be dealing with that same type of situation with this semi-unknown deck breaking out and being the big talk of the Pro Tour. Instead, we're talking about Abzan and Jeskai. So yeah, to move on, uh, we're well, let's wrap these two uh, kind of semi-small topics into one so we can kind of talk about both of them. Then we'll move on to the financial stuff, and then we'll kind of wrap things up, final thoughts. So Oath of the Gatewatch Fat Packs were released. Uh, well, the information was released, rather, and they will include full art basics like Battle for Zendikar. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we got a RPTQ Snapca Snapcaster Mage reprint. So, at, like the promo, like Liliana, we're getting Snapcaster Mage. So I open the floor to you guys. What, what are the, the implications of those? Uh, and, uh, yeah, because everyone's still talking about this over social media. Richard? I, mean, I guess I never thought about Oath of the Gatewatch, but it makes sense. They, they always reuse the lands from the first set printed in a block. So the fact that they're reusing the Battle for Zendikar lands uh, shouldn't come as a surprise, but... I think this is great news. Uh, people are hoarding fat packs like No Tomorrow. Uh, I don't know why. You might as well just buy a booster box at this point. Like, the lands are worthless. I have so many full art lands. I'm going to start throwing them out. I'm <laughs> like, you know, we're only like three weeks in the standard, and already, like, if you draft any amount, if you play any FMs and get prize packs, you will be overflowing with full art lands. So, I don't know why people are shelling out. So much money for fat packs. I had to pay seventy dollars for a fat pack for the uh, the giveaway, and I was just like, "This is this is like ridiculous." Like I, I feel so bad paying the store seventy dollars and you know encouraging them to to jack up the price. But um, so the hoarders should probably not hoard their fat packs anymore for full art lands. Uh, you might as well just hoard booster boxes if you want to uh, keep uh, the chance of expeditions. Uh, but this should be good news, and I don't expect Oath of the Gatewatch fat packs to be uh, as highly sought after and expensive as the, the Battle for Zendikar packs to be, and I expect all of those to go back down to, to normal range, which uh, should be a good thing for players and people who are trying to pick up their full art lands. Yeah. Seth? Uh, yeah, I agree with Richard about the fat packs. I think that's true. It's It definitely 
softens up the market for the full art lands even more and should hopefully decrease the value of the the BFZ fat packs that are still out there. Uh, one wild card is going to be what expeditions are in Oath of Gatewatch. I'm really curious yeah. to see whether the demand for these fat packs is mostly because of the full art basics or if it's just the set and the expeditions and it's an easy way for someone to pick up a few packs and get a deck box and a dice and hope they win that expedition lottery while they're checking out at Walmart or whatever. So if that's the reason they're so in demand, we might see a shortage or at least a lot of demand for the old fat packs as well. Yeah, I think you're you're right on the the wild card of being the expeditions and what they are. But I'm I'm gonna have to agree with Richard here. I, I don't I think this announcement kind of really diminishes the drive to get these fat packs because you're getting another round of fat packs to get the full art lands and there's going to be a lot of full art lands. I mean, I was discussing this over social media. You know, Zendikar and Whirlwake both had the full art land packs uh, back when they were out. I mean, even if you just look back, I mean, there's even if Zendikar and Oath both have, again, we, we know that there's like this kind of limited print run of fat packs. It's still going to be way, it's going to, still going to be a lot more product of, Oath and Battle for Zendikar than there were for Zen, uh, World Wake and Zendikar. I mean, it, it's just not going to be a comparison. Uh, so even with limited print runs of both of these, I mean, there's going to be a lot of four land packs. So to answer your question a little bit, Seth, I think the expedition does throw a wild card in there. But again, I'm going to have to side with Richard here. If the focus is going to be on expeditions, then you might as well just buy a booster box. I mean you're getting more chances at an expedition with a booster box and there's just going to be so of these so many of these full art lands that the drive is not going to be to the full art lands like people were thinking when they were hoarding these uh battle for zendikar uh fat packs like the drive was you get full art lands you get nine packs you know chance at an expedition you get the dice or whatever so it was just just kind of we use this term a lot kind of like a perfect storm around these fat packs, but hey, you, now you have Oath of the Gatewatch fat packs with the same lands in them. So uh, I don't really think you're doing yourself a justice to go after a $40, $50 fat pack, whatever, a jacked up price on these when you're only getting nine cracks out of fat, uh, Expedition. And there's just so many of these full art lands in there that the land pack's not even adding that much value to these. You might as well just pony up and buy a box. So uh, that's that's my thought on that. I I wouldn't be hold, hoarding this seal product. I don't really deal in seal product as it is. But uh, if you had them, I don't I don't think you should be hoarding these. I I would switch your attention to sealed boxes. Uh, if that's going to be a question for us. Yeah, and just just to add on to Seth's point, people are definitely hoarding it for the lands um, because the markup. Yeah on a fat pack is like a hundred percent right now. You're basically paying double what you would normally pay. Whereas the markup on a booster box is 10%. You can buy boxes for like a hundred, 110 right now. So it's definitely, unless it's the dice or the, the box, which I probably not. Right? <laughs> I doubt. It's good. To have <laughs> I, I, the, I the doubt. <laughs> yeah. Or people are just totally irrational and don't know what they're doing, which is yeah. probably the more correct answer. To all of <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, I think, yeah, I think, having that information in the land packs being in uh, the oath kind of shifts the, all right, well, the drive is not really the full art. Plus you get the chance of getting expeditions. I think it's just fully going to swing back to you have a chance at expeditions. So I think boxes here are better now. So rather than so kind packs. of a tangent, but related at GP Madison, when they gave out the lands, were they the bull, uh, the full art lands? I think so. Because you know how at uh, sanction or not sanctioned, but a uh, competitive relevance, they they have like those land packs, at, right? Like sealed, they're not just like reused pa like lands like you have at your local game store, but they're actually sealed and given out by wizards to the tables. I wonder if those are actually the Balfour's Indicar full art lands. That's a good question. Because if that is the case, then there's going to be a lot of full art <laughs> lands floating around for like every single time there's a uh, sealed GP. 
Right, and and I mean, you you mentioned this last cast, uh, Richard. I mean, we're going to be drafting this until Oath comes out, and then I don't know if the Oath packs specifically have the four lands. I know the land, the I know the fat pack does, but I'm not sure if the actual packs do. But even if they don't, I mean, you said you're we're at the point where people are leaving these left over and draft, you know, chafe. So I mean, they're out there. You you could definitely get. Uh, some some battle for Zendikar full art lands, and I just even like after a few years, I just don't think they're gonna make. Uh, maybe they do, I don't know, but there's just a there's a ton of them out there now. Uh, if now that both of these, now that we know that both of these fat packs have the land packs, so Snapcaster. So just briefly, yeah, we were gonna talk about that. Yeah, so go ahead. It doesn't it doesn't matter much. I mean these promos. They're like judge promos almost. They're just such low supply that it's it's going to be hard to imagine this really crashing the price of Snapcaster or fixing whatever supply issue there is uh, that's making it so expensive. So it's cool, and it's nice to get shiny new foils with different art, but as far as the price, I guess it limits the growth of Innistrad uh, copies of Snapcaster, but it's not like it's all of a sudden going to be a $20 card because of this promo. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be in a panic sell mode. Uh, I wouldn't be hitting that button. But you're right. I, I think I think there will be a period where uh, other people will see this as kind of, well, maybe I should just sell my ca- Snapcasters now. Uh, you know, the growth period is just going to be too long. But I think there's going to be a really big rebound in Snapcaster Mage every time modern season rolls around. Uh, I compare Snapcaster to Tarmogoyf a lot. I know it's not a one-for-one comparison, but the the point I'm really trying to make is without an actual reprint at rare, you're not really limiting the upside of this card. Like you're you're right, that the art these RPTQ promos just don't add enough uh, copies out there. It's not there. There is a distinction between the RPTQ promos and the GP promos. So. Doesn't this mean we're not getting a Snapcaster reprint anytime soon? Like, I think why would they make this a promo say. and then reprint Snapcaster Mage in the next set or you know the next Modern Masters or whatever? I think we can still see it in Modern Masters. I don't think we're seeing it until then. Well, I mean, the next Modern Masters is most likely a, almost two years from now, a year and six months from now. So I, I don't think that this promo... Uh, puts that off the table, but like you said, Chaz, I'd be surprised to see it before then. Yeah. What this does mean is we're going to get a Magic Online Snapcaster sometime soon. Yes. Because they, they have to use this art again, so it's going to be a Mox promo or something uh, sometime in the future yeah. for Magic Online. Speaking of Magic Online, got to mention this real quick. As we are casting, they just announced this new tournament on Magic Online for all the vintage players out there. Uh, so these are once a month starting the end of October. It's the Power 9 Challenge, 25 bucks to enter. You can enter with event ticks or play points. First place gets a Black Lotus, a Time Twister, a complete foil set of BFC, a non-foil set of BFC, and 500 play points. And it goes down from there. The whole top eight actually gets paid out in Power 9 plus other prizes. Wow. So, so it's pretty exciting to see them trying something new. They've never, uh, in my, to my knowledge, done something like this on Magic Online before. And the vintage community had really been hurting with some of the changes that have went on recently. So this is a great change, a great new event to try. So I'm really excited about that. And all the vintage players uh, should be really excited. They have a high EV, like really competitive event they can play, even if it's only once a month. Wow. Blame Randy Bueller. Where's the <laughs> legacy event? There's got to be more legacy players and vintage players, right? What, where's the legacy event? But yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, the 500 play points seems very weird <laughs> in that <laughs> prize, but uh, uh, it's just it's just so sta- you're just gonna lose to LSV. That's what's gonna happen <laughs> when you play this. He always wins those things, it seems like. Or it's someone. Like Martel, LSV, or yeah. someone. Like, they're going to destroy you in this. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, in that same article, they released uh, Innistrad flashback drafts also. Yeah? Uh, over Halloween, I think. It's the eerie Innistrad flashback. So that's pretty cool, too. And these 
Uh, lately, they've been doing flashbacks that were phantom, so you don't get to keep the packs. But this one is actually a real event, so you will get to keep your Lilianas and your Snapcasters. How about that? I think maybe like how how many forty episodes of uh, this podcast, maybe some some complaining got finally heard, and they're <laughs> they're turning they're turning MTGO around. That that's that's some really good news. I mean that that is a massive payout for once a month. Yeah, I mean, first place, just looking that over is, I mean, it's not huge compared to paper, but it's probably the equivalent of $500 or more in, like, moto money. So that's really, it's not bad for $25 entry fee, especially for an event you can play in your underwear on a weekend in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do get two sets, right? And those are redeemable, right? Those are redeemable, and you could immediately sell your Power 9 cards and turn them into more sets if you wanted. So you could probably come out of that with close to four complete sets of Battle for Zendikar, and even more considering one of those sets is foil. So it's it's a really significant prize if you do well in the tournament. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that could... I mean, it's not directly paper, but if you wanted it to be, you can, right? So I think that's that's really awesome. That's definitely, I mean... <laughs> If you're thinking about playing uh, MTGO, uh, now's the time because they're doing some really – they're turning it around real quick, and it's, I think, from what you guys are telling me. They, they are, and it's awesome to see the vintage community get rewarded. Like, even on Magic Online, yeah. decks, decks are way cheaper than in paper, but it's still a significant investment to buy all the Power 9, to buy complete vintage decks. So it's nice to see that that community, if you're willing to put that money into Magic Online – you can play in events where you can actually win real prizes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that kind of wraps up Snapcaster Mage and uh, the Fat Pack Talk. Uh, oh, real quick. Uh, was it this weekend or last weekend that was the Moto uh, uh, online events for BFZ? Uh, pre-release was last weekend. Right. So the release of the set was this weekend. So we got like standard and, and modern would be FZ too. Well, and <laughs> actually on, on, <laughs> on magic online for no apparent reason, standard rotates on the Wednesday before the set releases. So we have been playing BFC standard since two days before BFC even went into pre-releases on magic online. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, Richard. <laughs> as of right now, we're, we're in full Battle for Zendikar mode. Everything oh, yeah. is Battle for Zendikar. Uh, supply is actually reasonable now, so you can actually buy the cards you want, and all the events pay out in Battle for Zendikar as well. So yeah. we, we are full Battle for Zendikar now. Uh, yep. When does Redemption start, Seth? Uh, it's about a month after the set uh, releases, so probably about three weeks from now. Uh, so it should be around the first or second weekend in November, or Wednesday in November. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, Magic Online will really affect paper as people start yeah. steaming all their sets. Yeah. Uh, and they missed downtime again this week, and I heard some tweets from people. I have $4,000 of sets I'm waiting to redeem. Like, there's no downtime. What can I do? So we're still getting that weird pinch on the supply of Magic Origins and people not being able to redeem sets that they're trying to redeem because of the downtime issues. Hmm. Okay. So that so we did talk about that. You didn't think, uh, you know, we kind of got your thoughts on that last week or the week before that about Origins kind of getting the, the supply coming from Magic Online is still kind of held up, right? Well, we we thought it was fixed. Things went back to normal for a couple weeks, and then this past week it popped up again. No downtime. We're having issues. So it looks like the problem isn't fixed for the long term, even though it was better there for a couple weeks uh, in the beginning of October. Right. So uh, maybe that kind of alleviates some (laughs) some standard prices. But, uh, yeah, when when pinches like that happen on the supply, it it really does uh, affect the market. But. I mean, I don't think it'll be affecting it too much, but we'll see. Uh, oh, just kind of a final thing. Richard, you did update, like, a ton of stuff over the weekend, right? Uh, for deck lists, we have, like, what, like 100 new standard deck lists going up there and all these uh, states and IQs being posted on the site? Yeah, uh, so over the weekend, I was posting the Pro Tour deck list in real time, and we started to... Uh, add 
kind of all decklist we can get our hands on to. So SCG states and TCG players states, uh, SCG IQs and whatnot. And we even have some lists from Japan coming in. So uh, if you're a Japanese listener, our site now accepts Japanese input for decklists, the, the split Japanese English. So we actually have some legacy events from uh, the Japanese scene. Mm. And uh, we'll try to get some... I think uh, Hariruya also posts their decks. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get those onto the site. But uh, awesome. we're rehauling the, the site section. And uh, as we're speaking, I'm working on improved searching and browsing so you can actually find all these decks now. Um, but So that's going on on the site. Awesome. Um, so kind of shifting gears, and we'll kind of wrap things up. So we'll talk a few financial things, and then we do have one fish mail, and then kind of close it out. So, all right, so just looking through financial things, uh, so on the website, I think we can talk on a couple of the big points here is um, mainly it's going to be we're looking at a a big surge in Gideon, uh, ally of Zendikar, uh, some kind of decreases across Battle for Zendikar as well, and one of those specific cards we'll talk about in the fishmail question. But uh, and then kind of another surge in most of the fetch lands. Liliana Heretical Healer was a really big one, and Jace continues to tick up slowly but surely. Uh, on the other side, we have a lot of just con stuff and origin stuff that really hasn't really hasn't shown up in decklists. Uh, Ojitai has come to back down. See the Unwritten continues to fall. Taziker. Whisperwood Elemental, Kytheon, Hardened Scales, Goblin Pile Driver, Days Undoing, Thopter Spy Network, and Starfield of Nyx. So those are kind of the weekly big losers right there. Uh, weekly change uh, winners, again, Liliana, a lot of the Fetchlands, Jace, Crackling Doom, Cole Against Command, Soulfire Grandmaster has broke $10 retail. So that's, I think, it's going to continue to rise for a little bit. And uh, Death Miss Raptor showing up at number 10. Uh, and then Battle for Zendikar again. We're seeing uh, Radiant Flames, Dragon Master, Outcast, Gideon, uh, some losers, Undergrowth Champion. We'll get into Drana, uh, Kiora, Ulamog, Bring the Light, Sire of Stagnation, uh, Green Warden of Marasa, Ruinous Path. So, uh, real quick, uh, Seth, what, what do you think from uh, these financial, this financial section? What do you think of these changes? I I mean, it's pretty typical Pro Tour stuff. Cards that showed up big at the Pro Tour are up big, and cards that didn't show up are trending down. The the most interesting thing to me uh, is this new rotation schedule. All these cards are rotating in six months from today, less than six months from today. All these KTK cards. And this is usually the time when... If you think of the normal rotation where it rotates in the fall, this would be spring and cards would already be far past their peak and trending down. But these cards are hitting their peak right now at a time when they should be decreasing. So I think these cards, there's going to be a point where they just have to drop really quickly because the vendors aren't going to get stuck with these cards at rotation when nobody wants them. So I think it's going to be really interesting, but I would look towards cashing out these cards sooner rather than later because eventually we're going to go over the edge of that cliff and everything's going to spiral really hard into the new rotation schedule yeah absolutely agree uh i wouldn't be looking to start hoarding uh any of this stuff i would be looking to get rid of it and and mostly this is stuff that like unless you started playing standard um you would have gotten already or you were kind of trying to buy these before pro tour or something like that uh but i agree seth uh other than really the fetch lands even maybe the Fetchlands uh, themselves, uh, most of this stuff should be starting to trend down and, uh, like you like you said, go over the cliff very soon because, like you said, again, vendors don't want to be stuck with this. And uh, I, I think we're just seeing this increase, even though the rotation is happening. You, you just need these cars to play standard right now, right? Like, you, there's no kind of... There's no emphasis on Battle for Zendikar right now. The emphasis is on KTK block, but we do get to keep uh, 
Dragons of Tarkir stuff, at least, for a while longer past the Fate Reforged and KTK uh, rotation. So you can expect a lot of those Dragons cards to kind of hold that value for longer, but and, and Origins as well. So, you know... I'll be- I'll be looking for those cards to potentially spike again at yeah. the next rotational pro tour coming up in the spring. Like the next pro tour in the winter is modern. So most of these KTK cards, they're not going to have another pro tour. There's GPs, there's SCG circuit, but there's no more pro tours, but right. the dragons cards, Ojitai's command, dragon Lord, Ojitai, the origins cards, Nissa, Jace, they get a whole nother rotation. And as we've just seen, a lot of times people default towards the old cards at rotation, especially if the new set isn't too obviously powerful. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So yeah, it's going to be looking like you're going to need Origins and DTK, like you mentioned, Seth, for, I mean, they get another full rotation, so probably could go up again uh, once that time, you know, once that time comes. But yeah, pretty typical financial stuff. Uh, that actually kind of leads us into the fish mail, uh, which was sent to Richard. So I have it here. Uh, hashtag... Uh, PTBFZ, with no copies of Drano Liberator of Malakir in the top eight, do you guys think her price, or the price, rather, is going to drop? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think so, There's, too. Yeah. She, there were a total of three copies in one deck that actually had a winning record at the Pro Tour, so it's not even that she missed the top eight. She just didn't show up. The pros didn't even think of playing not that they didn't think of it but they didn't even try to play her the drana decks weren't good enough for them to even bring to the table so i fully expect that she will start decreasing over the next couple months yeah now i don't think this is going down to like a near bulk mythic but i think it's it's very probable that this card kind of hovers around the six dollar range for a while i don't think it's the last time we see drana it is a inherently powerful card but it's just not that good right now. Do you guys think there's any chance that this is like the Phyrexian Obliterator scenario where it's such a casual all-star that its price will be propped up no matter what happens in uh, the standard metagame? Because she is a vampire, she is legendary, and she puts plus one, plus one counters on things. And the ally. Oh, and an ally. (laughs) So she has everything. Like, if only she was like a sliver vampire dragon ally. (laughs) <laughs> fallen angel <laughs> yeah. then, uh, she'd have everything you'd want in a casual card no yeah I, I agree with you Richard I, I do think that element comes into it but I, I just think with you know a few more months of people drafting and more product being open I just I don't think it gets propped up that much like like I said I don't think it's going down to like under five dollars or something like that and I do think it'll probably hover around you know, maybe six to eight bucks, but it's definitely not going to be the price it is now. So that that is an element, but I just, with more product being open, I just, I can't see a scenario where it doesn't go down, at yeah, least a little me, bit. To me, that, that casual demand is more of a long-term thing once... Yeah. Why it's in standard, it it has to be, I mean, like the, the Mythic Sliver, that wasn't that expensive, and that's no. a Mythic Sliver. That's like the epitome of a casual card. Yeah. So so I think that, that in the long term, that helps Strana, and she can recover and be a relatively expensive casual card three years down the line or five years down the line, but I don't think that saves her now why the set's being opened and redeemed and drafted. Yeah. Yeah, I think that about answers that question. And I think we covered everything, right? Uh, Did we miss anything? Don't think so, right? I think think we nailed everything. Yeah. Uh, So any final thoughts about anything we talked about? Out the door kind of stuff? So what are you guys playing in standard now? Or are you even (laughs) going to play standard? (laughs) Well, I tweeted you guys yesterday, so you should know what my deck list is now. <laughs> you like weird, janky stuff. <laughs> uh, I did actually get to talk to the, the deck owner. So Eric B., sorry if I butchered your name, uh, Tamasma Jr., and uh, he said there was 131 participants at that uh, event. So 
Ameria control or retreat control rather. Told you there was retreats are good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll probably build the Reed Duke Esper deck as my actual like standby standard deck, but I'm still excited to brew and play different things. So. Uh, but I think that'll be the deck that sits in my collection, and when I don't yeah. have anything else that excites me, that's what I'll default to is Esper Control. Yeah, I, I could just be, like, really lame and, you know, why shell out, uh, you know, $700 for Abzan or, you know, Jeskai and just play Green White or Red White, Red Green Atarker, rather. Or play that yeah. 48 Mountain deck. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I have no idea how. I really want to jam Agent Sullivan's Esper Demon Control. I I really cool. want Demonic Pack to work, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try that list. That that seems uh, interesting. No Jaces, and it's a blue control deck. So yeah, I think if I can avoid Jace, uh, that's what I'm gonna be playing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's uh, that about wraps it up for this episode. We will do this next week, gentlemen. It's been a great cast, and we will. Talk to you all next time.